have your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Acts chapter 17. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. I kind of tuned out from my mind Pastor Rodney's announcement that that was a typo 245. That's kind of where I'm going to, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> We were chuckling together in the back about uh, <laughs> about the prospect of going to that time. It's like, I didn't plan to talk that long, but maybe y'all can just you know, sit tight. Something will come to me. It'll be fine. It's, it's all fine. <laughs> Acts chapter 17. Let's have a word of prayer together. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for being with us today such a joy to be in your presence as we uh, so once more we've come to your word just hoping to be inspired more in our walk with you we just ask that you uh, you hear our prayer you answer it you bring us closer to your heart just thank you for the love that we have in you amen acts chapter 17. Let's read together, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Silas are on a God-fearing Greek men, and quite a few prominent women. Having a bit of a difficulty with this uh, service at the moment, so hang on just one second while I restart an application. <laughs> There's blankets available, by the way. If you know someone in our church who is... Uh, <laughs> joys of modern technology. Somebody shout out to me, what verse were we in? Five, very good. Woo! Very good. John, I'm just going to keep reading. If you catch up to us, Acts chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 5. Sorry for that. My bad. Here we go. Verse 5. Some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead, took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. 
They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. Verse 10, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result... Many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek men and women. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul on to the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens, and then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. Whew. It's a lot there. Jump ahead a little bit. (laughs) Thank you for your patience. All right. Quite the story. If you were a first century Christian and you were looking to plant churches in the, uh, say, the frontier of Christianity, which one of these two scenarios sounds better to you? Thessalonica or Berea? Berea, right? uh, Thessalonica, there's the significant resistance. Berea, like, wow, it's it's really... Pretty nice. Um, There are some similarities in the text, to be fair. In Thessalonica, it says that some of the Jews were persuaded, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Sort of similarly in Berea, it says that many Jews believed, as did many Greek women and men. However, in Thessalonica, there was significant resistance as well, right? The synagogue leaders in Thessalonica, they get so worked up that they actually go to the marketplace and it says they gather together a mob. It's as if, I was laughing with our young adult group because we went over this not that long ago. It's like there's, it's like there's, a, there's a stall in the marketplace of like rent a mob. And they go there and they're like, let's, let's go start a, a riot. Let's go stir up some trouble. And um, they literally attack the home of Paul and Silas's host, Jason. It's like, talk about things you didn't expect when he said, yeah, you can stay with me for a few days. <laughs> This mob attacks Jason's home. Paul and Silas aren't home, so they drag poor Jason before the city council. The church actually then sneaks Paul and Silas off to Berea for their protection. And things are going really well in Berea, right? It's different there. They're more open-minded. They're more receptive. The only thing that will bring that to an end is, one more time, the people from Thessalonica. They're so upset at Paul and Silas that they actually are willing to take this rent-a-mob on the road (laughs) And uh, they, they tried to attack the evangelists there in Berea. Once again, because of the Thessalonian people, Paul and, is forced to flee the city. <clears throat> so if I were to ask you which of these two communities 
is going to be held up as the example of what a church should be like, which one would you pick? Berea, right? Berea is kind of the obvious choice. They're pretty much the poster child of a healthy church, right? I remember growing up, it was said often to me in Sabbath school classes, be a Berean. Listen open-mindedly to the sermon and go home and read your Bible to make sure it was what, uh, what the pastor was saying is true. They're a, an example of how Christians should behave, right? At least in a church context in, in, in the worship service. Paul has this to say, though, <clears throat> about one of these two churches. He says, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. One would guess that this might be said of the church in Berea. There's a lot of potential there, right? Yet it isn't. And I'm sure Berea had a great church. We have no reason to think otherwise. But Paul doesn't say that the Bereans are an example to all. He says it about the Thessalonians. Have you ever given someone a bad first impression? So now I need to ask for forgiveness because I just took you all in your minds to a moment when you'd rather really not relive, but you just kind of did because we all have given at least one, if not a hundred, bad first impressions in our life on accident, right? So it's only fair if I were to relive one of mine in front of you as well. Um, So when I uh, first kind of left home and went uh, went to Southern Adventist University to pursue higher education, Uh, I was in the theology department there at Southern, and uh, pretty early on in my experience there, there was a special uh, Vespers service at the church on Friday night. Now, for those of you who have attended um, an Adventist college, university, uh, you know that Friday night Vespers is is kind of a big deal. Most people, you would think, kind of turn out for the Vespers program. And that is indeed the case at Southern. There's a lot of people that show up. A couple thousand people fit in the sanctuary, and... um, In addition, this was a a, kind of an extra special uh, Friday night service for uh, my academic department because the theology department was having a special weekend emphasis, and that meant they were kind of in charge of the the Friday night vespers, and then they were going to have a smaller gathering on Sabbath morning and afternoon as well. But what that really meant was that in addition to the majority of the student body, all of the theology professors are in attendance. Great. So I'm pretty new uh, to school and whatnot, and there's, uh, during the announcements time, there's going to be this special announcement given for, I, I think it was Bible study opportunities. I'm really not even sure at this point to, to study with somebody else. And, and somebody had the bright idea of uh, framing this announcement through the lens of a skit, some sort of a skit. Again, the details escape me except for the ones that I wish would. Um, I was cast as somebody who was did not want a Bible study, and so I was going to run away from the person approaching me about this. And so um, I, I was tasked with being about, oh, say, right here on the platform, and I was going to run away off stage. Now, truth be told, I have rather large feet, and I have a propensity to trip on things. And so I was like, you know what? Um, I, I needed to plan my route off the stage because there's, you know, a cable here and 
a mic stand there and whatnot. I need to make sure I've got my, my pre-thought track out because the student body is here. All of my professors are here. I do not want to trip on the stage. Okay, so I've got that all planned out. And then I noticed that there's, there's stairs down off the stage. Again, with, with my size of feet, negotiating stairs quickly <clears throat> wasn't the best idea in my mind. I'm like, that's not going to be the best way to descend from the stage. So there's a railing. I'll grab the railing and I'll swing myself down and that'll be fine. Makes sense, right? Right? Please, right? No. Okay. Um, so what I did not take into account was the, uh, the, the worn carpet and the worn sole of the dress shoes that I happened to be wearing at that time. And um, things went according to plan. I didn't trip on the stage. I didn't, for the record. Um, however, when I swung myself off the podium, uh, I, my shoes hit the carpet and my feet went sideways and horizontally I slammed into the wall. Um, feet first, thankfully. Um, but the walls were not too unlike the walls of this room and that they're wood, very resonant, and there was this big boom in the sanctuary and you could uh, just see kind of everybody casually rise in their seat, like, is he going to get up from that one? And I had to kind of, I'm good, and sit back down. And, you know, that was just a just random Friday night event. I'm sure some people might kind of remember that happening to somebody, but surely they wouldn't remember who. No, of course not. For uh, the rest of my time at Southern, and even to my very last semester there, the dean of the theology department, there was an event where the uh, theology students were going to be invited to come up onto the platform, and then we'll be asked to come back down off the platform, and he very, very uh, lovingly but snarkily kind of looked at me and said, and, and I want everybody to be careful as they're getting up and down off the platform, so it's like, this is, some things just stick with you, you know, it's, it's great. I did a, a, a casual search for quotations regarding first impressions. This is a ton of them. And uh, I found it pretty, pretty ironic that the results actually could be classified into two general sentiments. Number one is that it is important to do everything you can to make a good first impression. Okay? It's like the, the collective wisdom. And number two is that uh, first impressions are generally unreliable. Neither of these things really surprise us, but it's kind of funny that they really sort of negate each other, right? Try really hard to make a good first impression, which really shouldn't matter that much anyway. And although it is next to impossible really to always make a good first impression, we all tend to agree that it is worth the effort, right? Like we, want, we want to try to at least make a good first impression. But perhaps more importantly, we should lean into that second idea. See, it is often quite difficult to overcome our first impression of someone, yet it is worth the effort. <clears throat> Why is that? Because of things like this. Book of First Thessalonians chapter 1 begins like this. This is a letter from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica. For those who have just read Acts 17, that should be a slight bit of a miracle there in that very first line. There's a church in Thessalonica. How about that? To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. 
As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three things. <laughs> faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope that you and I will be forgiven if that's a bit of a surprise that the church in Thessalonica is known for after Acts chapter 17. Paul has a very uh, special attitude towards the church in general and Thessalonica in specific. I just want to casually hit a couple of these different, different statements that he makes in this letter. In verse 6, Paul begins this. He says, So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought to you. And in this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Again, we read this a little bit ago. Now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. They speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And into chapter 2, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Wow. Back up just a little bit, Paul's attitude towards the church. Verse 4, Paul says, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. You know, wherever Paul went, he just assumed that everywhere he was at, there were people that, that God loves and has chosen to be in his kingdom. I don't want to miss that. Later on in chapter 2, verse 8, we'll come back to this later, but Paul says, We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Verse 13, Therefore we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Never stop thanking God for the church. Down into verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you. This is as hallmarky as Paul ever gets. He is like in love with the church in Thessalonica. Our hearts never left you. It's like so sweet. Uh, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come see you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. You are our pride and joy. I want to catch something here really quick. Paul does not say that my work converting you to Jesus is my pride and joy. Paul says, you are our pride and joy. I take pride in you knowing who you are in Jesus 
And it gives me joy. My goodness. A little bit later, chapter 3, verse 9, he continues, How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill the gaps in your faith. May God, our Father and our Lord Jesus, bring us to you very soon. For Paul, it's very clear that he has an intense desire to physically be with the church. I don't just want to hear news about how they're doing. I want to be there. I want to be there. Between the lines in Acts chapter 17 and 1 Thessalonians is a reality that I don't want to miss. I hope you don't either. Those belonging to the kingdom of Jesus are dogmatically optimistic of the potential of everyone to join the kingdom. Those belonging to the church are rigid in their refusal to see anyone as ruled out from being a son or daughter of God. Those belonging to Jesus are ruthlessly committed to the vision that every single person they meet is kingdom material. No matter how bad the first impression might be. And frankly, this is both inspiring and challenging for me. I don't just fall into this attitude on my own. By no means. I need help. <laughs> I need a daily attitude adjustment. Perhaps you can relate. <laughs> when I get into a place of silence and solitude to be with Jesus and I can just be with him and be reminded of who I really am in him, I'm, a, I'm his son, I'm redeemed, I'm chosen, I'm loved, I'm called for a purpose to share his love with others. Part of the importance of that is also being reminded of who I'm not anymore. Because when I'm reminded of the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, the inherent optimism of the kingdom of Jesus begins to invade my soul. For I know that anyone can become a child of the king. After all, here I am. <laughs> and if I can be here, nobody can't. So I need an attitude adjustment. I get it from Jesus in prayer and his word. But more specifically, what does this attitude look like that I am pursuing? It's an attitude of love. I'll jump back to this point. Paul makes a simple statement. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Now, perhaps some of you are, are a little daunted at the thought of, of standing up where I am and talking to anybody, whether it's a relatively friendly audience like a, a Sabbath morning worship service or any other environment. It uh, can be a little daunting to think about that. However, I just want you to know <laughs> that sharing the good word of the gospel is way easier than what Paul says they also did in love, which is giving their own lives to. Intentionally being present with, doing life with, caring for, having compassion for, praying for. 
That's love. And again, inspiring and challenging as well. <laughs> In Jesus, I'm not to let a bad first impression sway my optimistic desire to see everyone join the family of God. This is one perspective here. It's the perspective of Paul looking at the Thessalonians, the perspective of Jesus' followers looking at other people. There's another perspective regarding first impressions here that I want to speak to as we wrap up. That's the perspective of people looking at the church. So whether you consider yourself part of the church or a a regular attendee of the church or just kind of maybe floating in and out of church, occasionally attending, just checking out the church, seeing what this is all about, even antagonistic toward the church, whatever your personal stance is, we all have an impression of the church. And frankly, sometimes it's not the best one. So you might have gotten the impression that the church doesn't accept people who make mistakes. If that were true, this room would be awfully empty, wouldn't it? Know that in our community, there's only one who is perfect, and it's his righteousness that covers the rest of us. You might have gotten the impression that the church only values you for what you do. And honestly, this is easy for churches to to slip into. We have some room to grow, but please know that our church values you for who you are even more than what you do. You might have gotten the impression that everyone in the church has it all together. There's, nobody has any problems. There's no mess here. And you kind of feel compelled that if you're going to be in the midst of all this holiness, I need to appear that way too. You know, sometimes social media gets a bad rap, and it deserves it for this, of like, you know, you, the, 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 the Facebook world of people or the Instagram world of people where it's like, here's the small sliver of my life that has the least amount of dirt on it, and I will project that to the world. And I'm not going to show any of the, like, the, the really bad darkness or whatever else that, that comes out. Yeah, social media deserves that for sure. But you know, church kind of had a corner on that market long before social media ever existed. Um, it's tempting to put on, as, as Casting Crowns would call it, a stained glass masquerade. And we have some room to grow. But please know that we love you for who you really are. You don't need to do anything to earn our love. You don't need to cover anything up. We love you for just how you are, whether you're doing well or not. And it's possible that you've gotten the impression that the church isn't a safe place to express yourself. We have some room to grow, but we see you and we love you. We don't expect you to be exactly like the person next to you or even on the other side. We love you, though. Matter of fact, we expect you to be different. (laughs) That's good. It's possible that you've gotten the impression that the church isn't supportive, that maybe your needs are a problem the church doesn't want to know, that the church will only let you down. And we have some room to grow. But please know that your needs do matter to the church. 
It's a safe place to share them. We want to care for each other through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Please know that we desire the best for each other. It is possible that you've gotten the impression that the church doesn't really want to know what you think and what you want. We have some room to grow. But please know that who you are matters to us. We want your presence to be felt. We want to know, what do you think? See, everyone can give a bad first impression, even the church. So collectively together, let us seek the presence of Jesus often to be reminded of the eternal optimism of his kingdom. That there is no first impression that is so bad that we should rule anyone out. Whether it be a Thessalonian or a church. In Jesus, may we never give up on anyone. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that those words from Romans are true. That while we were still enemies of you, you came to this world, you died for us. Like the song we sang earlier, you interposed your precious blood. You didn't have to. We were so broken, we didn't even know to invite you in. But your love compelled you to interpose, to step in, and to save us, to restore us as your children to recreate in us newness of life, to give us purpose in this world. Jesus, just on behalf of of my brothers and sisters here, I just want to say thank you for the tremendous privilege that we have to be called into the ministry of reconciliation, of, of reuniting your children with you. And in this world, you better than any of us know that Humanity can give off a pretty bad first impression sometimes. So in your love and your strength and your wisdom, working within us, may we see beyond first impressions and may we never lose the eternal optimism of your kingdom, that there is no one that is not kingdom material. And now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, church. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.